0: Hi everyone. Welcome to the November 17, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Nizziti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver International Airport launching a contest to decide the next media personality's voice to greet passengers upon arrival. I think now that we're all filled, we have a, a, a table full of professional broadcasters here. Let's all give our edition line for DIA to consider. I will kick it off. Welcome to Denver International Airport. You're only a short 50-minute ride from our city center. We'd like to thank the state of Kansas for letting us annex this land for our airport. And again, welcome to Denver. We'll see how that one goes. Patty Cahoon from Westward, your audition line.
1: Well, I've been following this for a long time because the, we've only had four announcers, all of whom have left the state. One, Pete Smythe to uh, that great big airport in the sky. So I've been following this pretty closely. They announced the contest. You've got until November 30th to send your tape, and we are hoping this will suffice for us. And so my message is, welcome to Denver. Don't worry if you are delaying the departure of this train because you're going to have to wait for your luggage anyway.
0: Very well done. I like that. Craig Silverman, attorney with Silverman and & Levis, and a uh, talk show host on KUSAM every Saturday morning. Uh, give us your uh, best audition line to see if you're the next voice at Dia. Well,
2: I'm not sure I'm the proper voice, but I do think it should be limited to Denver natives, so I qualify in that regard, and I'll give it a shot. Hello, and welcome to the Mile High City. Please depart the airport property and head east. We are currently full in Denver, the Front Range, and the nearby mountains. But there is still lots of room on the eastern plains, some still with views of the Rocky Mountains.
0: <laughs> Very nice. I think the, uh, uh, the Genoa uh, uh, Tourism Council will be thankful for that When I like that. Uh, Eric Sonnen, political analyst. We've uh, had a lot of fun with this. You're next up. What's your audition
3: line for the DIA train? Well, I've often thought that they ought to play the ultimate joke on travel-weary passengers, and have it be Peyton Manning going Omaha, Omaha. (laughs) But uh, short of that, um, my audition would be as follows. Welcome to Denver, the Mile High City. Contrary to what most of you are thinking, this relates to our altitude. We hope your stay here is a pleasant one, but not for too long. Then we will be glad to wish you a fond farewell. Very nice.
0: I'm sensing the theme. Rounding at the panel, Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. We're looking forward to hearing. You have a very esteemed voice. You're going to be in the running here. What's your audition?
4: Well, I've often wondered how closely passengers pay attention to those announcements anyway, but mine would be, welcome to Denver, the Mile High City. No, you can't buy marijuana in the airport, so stop looking. But do enjoy one of our 500 craft beers. Happy Trails. (laughs) Very well done. I, I will be looking forward
0: to our phone call from Denver International Airport officials next week. <laughs> Let's get to it. From Hollywood to Colorado politics, allegations of sexual assault are dominating headlines again this week. Details are unfolding related to the multiple reports against State Representative Steve Lipsock and House Speaker Chrysanthia Duran, her initial handling of the claims. Meanwhile, State Representative Paul Rosenthal is also under fire following recent claims of him inappropriately touching a campaign field organizer in 2012. Patty, uh, just watching the morning news today, I saw a graphic of four different state representatives, I mean, state uh, lawmakers, that had some sort of complaint working right now. Uh, or, is this the tip of the iceberg?
1: Yes, it is. Because, and, but where has everyone been? This has been common for decades. We know women have complained about it for a long time. Gay guys complaining about it, um, which is coming up now, is a little newer, but not that much newer. But why it it has really taken off now is interesting. Is it because women feel empowered because we had our first major political party candidate who was female, but whose husband 20 years ago arguably did far, far worse than most of the things we're hearing now? So I'm glad people are paying attention. I wish people could discriminate a little more b- between what's true sex assault, what's true sex harassment, what's discrimination, and what's just tasteless and stupid, which appears to be most of what our legislators are doing most of the time.
0: <laughs> Craig, uh, we have seen calls for the attorney general to get involved because some people are saying lawmakers shouldn't police lawmakers. Uh, We've heard calls for an independent investigation arm. Uh, What do you think should be the appropriate way of handling the growing number of complaints?
2: Well, it all depends on the facts of the case. We do need to distinguish who committed what. And where do you turn? You turn to the law, the criminal law and the civil law. There are certain rules around the workplace that implicate civil law, But just the Al Franken thing, I heard so many people say that was a sex assault. When he put his tongue in her mouth and gave her an unwanted kiss, well, I'm sorry, that's not a sex assault. And when he touched her breasts, and it appears he did that over the Kevlar, not clear whether or not uh, it it was close, but in any event, that's not a sex assault. That's unlawful sexual contact. Now, when you get to Harvey Weinstein, you're talking about actual sexual assault. So I think we have to have a ranking, a creep factor ranking, and I put it together. Harvey Weinstein at the top, Louis C.K. right beneath him. Joe Biden gives me the creeps. It might not be a crime, but the way he touches really young girls, Kevin Spacey is way up there. Bill Clinton, who kind of got this started and got a pass, Patty referenced it. George H.W. Bush seems to have a problem, too. Roy Moore has to be on the list, although. Some of those allegations are falling apart. Al Franken, uh, not good. Bill O'Reilly. And then maybe Donald Trump toward the bottom of it. And the state runner is Steve Lebsock, but he's getting a lot of cover with all these new allegations. And again, he might have been inappropriate, but he did not do anything criminal, and that's the way he defended himself. So we need to separate what's really bad conduct from what's inappropriate.
0: Uh, Eric, one of the other factors besides the the long and seemingly growing list that uh, Craig went over—the different people who are getting complaints filed against uh, them—is Speaker Duran is under fire of how she handled it. Now, uh, even Representative Winter has come out and said, "No, she went by the book." But by the book and uh, the right way to do it can sometimes be two different things. Uh, Do you think Speaker Duran has an ongoing issue?
3: No, I don't. I mean, she has a current issue. And I think her issue is testimony to the fact that these mores are changing so fast. We're in a cultural moment right now, and that cultural moment was different from what it was three months, six months, or a year ago when the Faith Winter thing, I think after Signy die of the previous uh, a year and a half ago, after that session when the Faith Winter incident occurred. Uh, does the manner in which Chrysantha Duran handled it then look bad now? Yes, it does. At the time, when it was all based on the wishes of the complainant, in this case Representative Winter, it looks like the Speaker adhered to those wishes. So I don't think, of all the people who want to be on the hot seat, I'm not convinced. Cresanta Duran should be at the top of that list. Craig gave his list. It's a good list. I hope it's a. Dy- I mean, I trust it's a dynamic list, and that this was done in pencil and not in pen because it seems to change with the news cycle. Every time your phone buzzes these days, it's with a news alert of, uh, of some new person, whether that be locally uh, or whether that be nationally. I, I really think this is a cultural moment in which some lives are going to be ruined and some of those appropriately ruined for outrageous and atrocious uh, past conduct. Patty, hit it dead on uh, on in terms of doing more to distinguish, not lumping it all together. Much of it is very bad. Some of it is tasteless and stupid, uh, which is probably the moniker of our legislature, but uh, some of it is just tasteless and stupid, which is bad enough, but it shouldn't be lumped together with the stuff that is truly uh, criminal. And lastly, I just note, note we had an election a year ago last week, and the two candidates were named Trump and Clinton, and yes, there was a different Clinton, uh, in some ways a victim in her own right, but uh, when your candidates are named Trump and Clinton, uh, sexual harassment is definitely on, on, on the radar screen. Pam, before the
0: show started, we were looking forward to uh, your, your points about this because you, from, all this, from everyone at the table, you have experience as a state lawmaker. You've been in the midst of it. And I realize that we're on top of the same players right now, two uh, totally different players. But what should be the appropriate
4: response? What, what needs to happen from the headlines we've seen this week? Well, you know, I think you've got to keep it in context. First of all, what Speaker Duran did was entirely appropriate. She got a report about a situation. The victim came to her and said, consistent with the rules of the legislature, I don't want to file a formal complaint now. I don't want to proceed. I want you to be aware of this. With that as a beginning, Speaker Duran didn't have the right to deny, you know, Representative Lebsack a chairmanship if his seniority had warranted it and in terms of how the other appointments were made because she'd gotten a complaint and the victim said I don't want to proceed I'm done with it let's move on so she went about the business of running the legislature which is her job so I I, and this is one of the things that concerns me about all of this is when the one representative um, raised an issue about the speaker ought to resign or she ought to be sanctioned or investigated for doing what the victim asked her to do, consistent with the rules of the legislature, the problem is you're going to start trivializing all of this if people think you're only doing it to score political points. And that's what the attack on Speaker Duran looks like. Not condoning lubsock's behavior. It's it's inappropriate. But Patty also raises a good point. If viewers think that some of these incidents that have been described are the first time these things have happened in the history of the state legislature they've missed the point for many many years Um, a lot of this behavior has gone on where both men and women have been the aggressors and men and women have been the victims including elected officials and lobbyists and interns and and so you can talk to anybody who has served in the body over the last 30 years, 40 years, and I'm sure everybody will be able to recount something they heard about. Having firsthand knowledge or firsthand proof is a separate thing, but the rumors swirl and abound there. And we all know about relationships between legislators and legislators and lobbyists. So, you know, we got to quit thinking that we're living in some sort of ideal world where these things don't happen. They do. But the bottom line is the conduct is inappropriate, but Mm -hmm. now there are rules and there are procedures in place to deal with it, and hopefully the legislature will do that.
0: In one of the few predictions we got right, as we thought might happen last week, Arapahoe County uh, DA George Brockler has jumped from the gubernatorial primary to the race for attorney general. The decision was announced on Monday on the heels of A.G. Cynthia Kaufman joining the crowded governor's race last week. Craig, uh, when George Brockler jumped into the governor's uh, GOP primary, uh, it wasn't a big enough name to scare off any competition. Is he a big enough name to scare off competition for the GOP AG primary?
2: Well, he got support and presumably money from the National Attorney General's Association. So uh, he may be able to scare off everybody, but Lord knows there are a lot of Democrats waiting for him, Mm -hmm. including Phil Weiser, who served in the Obama administration, former CU Law School dean, where I went, where George Brockler also graduated. He's formidable, as is Michael Doherty, a Democratic prosecutor in Jeffco. Brad Levine, a very bright personal injury lawyer. Amy Patton, a former prosecutor. And then also waiting with no money, but a lot of name recognition. And Bernie people love him, Joe Salazar. So this could be an incredible race, and George is as glib as they come but so are a lot of these Democrat candidates. I've had them all on my show, and some of the defining issues may be Amendment 64, gay rights, oil and gas, because there's a world of difference, and uh, it's it's quite a race, one to follow, and uh, it will be entertaining.
0: Eric Kinbuck came out and said that he is not running for AG, and I think that I'm not sure that that triggered George Brockler to to certainly jump in, but it certainly affects the decision. Um, Assuming he keeps his word, do you see any other major Republican uh, uh, causing a more difficult primary race for George Brockler?
3: Not at this point. I think the, uh, I think Craig hit it right in the sense that the, the vigorous, energetic primary is going to be on the Democratic side here. My main thought about Brockler is just a flashback not that many months ago in the governor's race when we had the Democratic frontrunner being Ed Perlmutter, who is now lo- no longer in that race and wasn't for uh, very long. And I regarded the Republican front runner as George Brockler, mm-hmm. and he is now out of that race, which speaks to me more about the governor's race than about the attorney general's rate, race and how volatile and dynamic and just plain wild uh, this governor's race is going to be. I do believe that the real obstacle George Brockler faces is probably not a primary opponent. It is just going to be the tenor of the year. Mm-hmm. If you buy the recent election results in Virginia and New Jersey in particular as somewhat a precursor, which those off-year elections often are for what is going to happen in the, in the, in the even-numbered-year election, This is going to be very tough for Republicans, and the question is, is it a nomination worth having, or is the Democrat, particularly when you do these down-ballot races, attorney general, state treasurer, secretary of state, where voters really don't have that much information about the candidates, those elections tend to go by party label these days. And uh, the question is, how damaged is that Republican Party label going to be come next November?
0: Penn, as you see the race as uh, forming up at this point, we have a lot of Democrats, so there's a, a great list that Craig went over of uh, the Democrats running, but the Republicans seems just like George Brockler it, it, do you think, even if it's a bruising primary on the Democratic side, that the energy there, and the name recognition, because there is a primary, if George Brockler doesn't have a primary, then he's actually going to be behind whoever comes out of the Democratic primary?
4: I, I think he will be. Uh, and I think another issue that's going to be prominent in, in the general election um, is going to be the death penalty. Um, you've got George Brockler, who's sort of made his his stand on all of these death penalty prosecutions, and no one has actually been put to death and there's a question i think there's a real issue in colorado whether coloradans even support the death penalty but that's where george um, has made his stand so yeah i i think what's going to happen is during the primary season everybody f- will forget he's around and they'll be focusing on all the democratic candidates of the primary once you get through the primary, there'll be a focus on the general, and George is going to have to figure out how people are going to start paying attention to him. I, and I'm not surprised at all about his move from the governor's race to to the AG's race because I didn't consider him the front runner in the Democratic primary. I thought that was probably Walker Stapleton, um, based on name recognition and a few other things. So George has moved to the race where I think he has the best chance of winning a statewide um, campaign. But his, his they've got to be creative. He's got to figure out what what he does to appeal to the middle part of Colorado during a primary season that's going to be focused on a bunch of pretty solid Democratic candidates.
0: Patty, what do you think? Uh, it sounds the consensus is this is the better race for George Brockler, but certainly not a slam dunk.
1: Well, it's certainly a better race, and it is interesting. What He was, he was out uh, about a year ago, and it does show that You are not going to discourage other people from jumping in the race. How many people jumped in after him? Seven, eight in the Republican Party? I I think he will have plenty of time to get out there and talk about his position because the Democrats, depending on how this campaign goes and looking at past years, the Democrats could wind up so bloodied from it that whoever whoever emerges the leader uh, might be exhausted and Brockler will be out there fighting. So I don't think it's a big problem for him.
0: An edited version of the much-discussed Amazon headquarters pitch from Colorado was released this week. Touting the best Colorado has to offer from nature to the vibrant economy, the Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation prepared a document that was short and sweet at just 23 pages, not including the appendix. Uh, Eric, there's been a lot of discussion about the secretive nature of this and people referencing laws, that there's nondisclosure agreements, yet other states have put out all couple hundred pages of what they've offered. Does it seem to you that maybe the, the Colorado officials need to go through this officially to say, oh, yes, we would love a huge headquarters, but maybe their heart's not in it?
3: No, I'm not sure I buy that. I think when you're talking about the political and civic leadership, the Chamber of Commerce, et cetera, the state, I think their heart is in it. I think they're realistic that our prospects are limited. But, you know, Denver is in the game. Whether that's a 5% chance or an 8% chance or a 10% chance, I suspect it's somewhere in there. If I was in Vegas, you'd probably need to offer me 20 to 1 odds. I don't think I'd take it at 10 to 1. Uh, But I don't know of any city that is a prohibitive front runner. I happened to be down at the chamber yesterday for an unrelated meeting when this press conference was going on. And then reading about the press conference after the fact, it struck me as completely much ado about nothing. I mean, this thing was so redacted. Uh, All the relevant uh, information here, whether we're talking about sites or whether were talking about the value of the incentives that are being put on the table uh, was left out. So all you really had was happy talk. And uh, some of the happy talk, you know, there, there, somebody was quoted as talking about how Amazon would ignite our economy. I mean, I look around and the economy has plenty of ignition as it is right now, or talking about how Amazon would be such a contributor to dealing with our affordable housing crisis, I look at all these people with $100,000 jobs moving in, and how is that going to help affordable housing around or in gentrification and everything else around here? As we've talked before, Dominic, and I'll wrap it up, there's this incredible disconnect between elite opinion here and person-on-the-street opinion. You know, I think a whole lot of people are just, would be more than happy if this honor was bestowed somewhere else. You made some great points there. My
0: favorite on that list was, if Amazon headquarters show up, we might be inspired to even build more light rail. That is assuming <laughs> you know, they the on Amazon line and seeing how our light rail is going, I'm not sure if they'd want one. Uh, Penn, you've been on uh, the, the inside of situations like this. You know how it goes when officials are trying to get business when it needs and also gauging if it's the right thing for the economy. From what you've seen, is this part of the course? Is, is Colorado, uh, are the officials on the right track?
4: You know, I think they're on the right track. I think this is par for the course. Uh, You know, when you're in that position, you never know how the economy is going to shake out two, five, ten years down the road. So if you have an opportunity to get a plum deal like this, you go after it. The reason we saw a redacted version, quite frankly, I think goes to Eric's very last point. I think this disconnect persists between sort of the business political elites and those of us walking around on the streets every day, and I think they were scared half to death to let people see what they were willing to offer Amazon to get them to come here. Other places that don't have quite the booming economy we do, that don't have it quite as good, were happy to say everything they were doing because they want the whole world to know how badly they want Amazon and they want Amazon to know they want the whole world to know how badly they want them. I think Colorado wants Amazon but I think Colorado, I think in all honesty you probably got some business leaders who are thinking man if we get this how are we going to make all this work? It's not going to be 50,000 people right away it's going to happen over ten years or so But still, given the road congestion and other issues we have, and TABOR and the fact that we can't get voters to approve funding for transportation and a host of other things, I I, I bet there's some concern.
0: Patty, at 23 pages, is brevity a good strategy?
1: Well, when you have an appendix that's, what, 50 or 60 more pages, it kind of takes care of it. It was a good strategy because... What, Tucson sent a Saguaro, and we had a nice little tidy box. I think at a certain point, with the hundreds of applications Amazon got, they had to be happy to have something a little compact. There were two reasons given, and the press obviously went after this. They wanted to find out what was in the package. In one case, they were talking about the 8 or 12 sites that are specifically laid out as possible locations for the headquarters. That would be a problem with other people who might look into that property, and so that was supposed to be confidential business issues. But they used completely different reasons to not give out the incentives, and I think those are pretty bogus reasons that we will be hearing about as uh, more media outlets try to get the information. Penn is right. People are mad. If you look at the comments that have come in about wooing Amazon... They don't want the state to pay more people to come here. If people come here, as many of us came here because we just love it, fine. But you don't pay people to come.
0: Greg, we're tight on time. We'll wrap it up for us.
2: Well, speaking of media outlets, you really should listen to KNUS 710 on your dial because Walker Stapleton was on my show saying that he had good information that the prime Amazon site is the Elitch's location. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine I-25 uh, with that going on? And then Dan Kaplan said, as an incentive, we should rename DIA and say, if you come, we will name it Amazon International Airport. And Peter Boyles went wild on that said, that's the stupidest idea, because the last thing we need are 50,000 lefties moving here for Amazon. So that's what talk radio is all about.
0: Indeed, that is exactly what what Talk Radio is all about. I couldn't have said it better myself, Craig. Uh, time for disgrace of the week. Patty always always start us off.
1: Fort Logan Cemetery, which on Veterans Day prevented some people from putting flags flowers on the graves because they weren't the official placers of flags and flowers. Craig, I'll keep going with my theme from start
2: to finish on this show. I-25. It's become impossible. Every day there's a collision in my short commute from downtown to the tech center. Every day, both ways, you see an accident.
3: Eric? I don't know if this is a disgrace so much as it is a, a sad statement of Colorado's fiscal reality, but Standard & Poor's in the last day or two came out with a, a, a negative report on Colorado and the prospect that it, the credit rating could be reduced if we don't come to grips with the massive debt, $30, mil, 30 billion at the low end, perhaps as much as 50 or 80 billion dollars that has been run up by our Public Employees Retirement Association.
4: Penn. El Paso County, um, for its policy of deciding that when someone comes to the court and they're giving personal rec- recognizance bond, they have to pay a $55 fee for monitoring associated with that PR bond. But if you don't pay the fee, they lock you up anyway. Tell us <laughs> something nice about somebody, Patty?
1: I want to say something nice about Helen Thorpe's new book, The Newcomers. We ran an excerpt on the cover of Westward this week. It's a wonderful book, but the amazing thing is the program that she spent a year in, a South high school program designed to help refugees who have come from horrible situations. They come to America. They come to Denver. They wind up in the South high school, and they learn English, and they learn how to be Americans. It's a really, really great read.
2: Craig. Colorado Inside Out, that 25th anniversary show, very well done. Congratulations to all involved. It was a little tough to watch myself age like that, but I think I looked good back in 1996.
3: I think you look great, and thank you for the kind words, Greg. Eric. I knew Patty was going to give a shout-out to Helen Thorpe and her book, The Newcomers, and uh, I'm going to do the very same thing. I think Patty's read the book. Mine is coming. I think set to arrive tomorrow. It will be holiday reading uh, for me. Helen has become this incredible writer. I mean, she's always been a writer, but an incredible voice now on important issues. This is her third book. I think each one gets better and more important.
4: Penn. Judge William Bain in El Paso County who told the county, you can no longer put people in jail because they can't pay the $55 fee after one woman spent 27 days in jail after being given PR bond on her own recognizance because she didn't have $55 to pay for the monitoring fee. That was
0: the nanny of the track violation, right?
4: That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you for tuning in. We
0: have a special Thanksgiving treat for you next Friday. We're bringing back our CIO Time Machine Marathon from 7 and 9 p.m. We're going to back to 1964, 1940, one of our Emmy winners, 1917, which is the one we did this year, and 1876, David Coppola's personal, personal favorite. And at 9 p.m., as a wonderful segue from our friend Mr. Silverman, we're presenting an encore of the Colorado Inside Out 25 Years documentary featuring interviews of the Everybody at This Table and vintage footage history of this program. Be sure to check it out next Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. As always, you can log on to Facebook or Twitter for CIO segments past and present. And our podcast is back on iTunes and Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching and have a wonderful Thanksgiving.